Hey, a funny thing happened. So, you know, we were talking about John Prine last week. And um, uh-huh. so his wife posted a thing um, last week, which was a little video that she'd taken as they were getting ready to check out of their hotel room where he'd been in Nashville uh, working on his last album. This was, I think it might have been a bit like a year mm. ago or a year and a half ago. And so she's kind of showing you around the hotel room and she's showing, you know, there's an envelope full of notes and there's like cassette tapes lying about. You can see his guitars and they're packed up in their cases, you know, and they're clearly getting ready to check out. And she shows you the view out the window and stuff. And then she can, this goes on for like, I don't know, like a minute and a half. And then she sort of says, oh, I'll see where, see where John is. And she kind of goes into the <laughs> the bedroom and then she turns left and he's in the bathroom and he's, I know he's, he's like throwing shampoo bottles into the bag, into his bag or something. And he just looks up and then he does this, he does like this the weird thing. He puts like his a, arms up like, no, no. So, and uh, I don't know, there's something about it I find both uh, tragic and beautiful and also just really unnerving. And I haven't been able to get that out of my head. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if, I don't know if it was like overly intimate or um, I don't know what it was. <laughs> it was just. John Prine checking out of the hotel, thinking in the bathroom, thinking, oh, fuck, what am I going to do with all this fucking half-finished shampoo? (laughs) Anyway, I don't know, it just struck me as very strange and I haven't been able to get it out of my head. So there you go. It reminds me of uh, a good friend of mine, Brian Byrne, who you've met. He, uh, (laughs) when one time he came to visit and he was showing my kids all the free (laughs) shampoo and conditioner and soaps he had in his toiletry bag. And the boy's like, well, where did you get it? And he's like, well, when you're in a hotel, it's free. So you just take it. You just take it. And like ages later, months later, they couldn't remember his name when we were trying to talk about him. I'm like, you know the guy? You know the stingy guy? <laughs> I nearly died laughing when they said that. So he, his name still is, you know, the stingy guy. Oh, brilliant. Uh, if you can hear scratching, by the way, that's the dog yeah. scratching on the carpet. So deal with it. Deal sure with it. it. Is. Say, so, I want to as well. Thanks. Uh, I want to say thank you to our new patrons that went over there and became patrons during the week. Look, brilliant job. We're fully aware that uh, these are tough times, so we really appreciate you helping us keep this on the on the road. Uh, anyone else? Look, I've said it a couple of weeks now. I'll say it, this will always remain to be a free podcast, but in the end of the day, it's not free to run, and look, we. This is pretty much becoming our full-time income at the minute. So if you are in a situation that you can become a patron, your contribution would never have been as valuable as it is now. Like this, We, we, we need it more than ever. So if you could uh, head over to BalarneyPilgrims.com for... No, not, not at all. That's not the website. The website is Patreon.com forward slash BalarneyPilgrims. And the seven different tiers you can become a, uh, a patron over there. The other thing is, Dom. Yeah. I uh, I did a Google this morning. We haven't got we haven't got a Wikipedia page yet. Oh, sorry. Say that again. I said we. I I googled ourselves this morning. I googled us, I should say, and uh, we we don't have a Wikipedia page oh, we yet. Don't. Oh, and, uh, so maybe I'll maybe I'll get to, maybe I'll get to it sometime in the next year and a half. <laughs> If 
most people probably missed it last week so i'm just going to say it again myself and don would love to get a wikipedia page for up being very honest up front it's a vanity project <laughs> yeah but don't put that in the entry <laughs> the blarney pilgrims podcast is a vanity project started by two Irish guys <laughs> <laughs> most importantly it's the uh it really helps with just us showing up in search terms so at the minute if uh like if i type in irish music podcast the blarney problems are not jumping to the top of the google searches so just kind of having things like wikipedia help us be uh authenticated i suppose in the internet world or however that is anyway i don't know i don't know how it works as i said at the end of last week's episode i'm not really sure it works i tried to do it and then it said that i needed to be an accredited wikipedia author or content generator which i'm not and then i looked into what that meant to do mm. that and i had to edit pages of it. and as anyone knows i don't really know enough about anything to be <laughs> editing wikipedia pages so i'm looking out there to you the listener if you are someone that might have enough knowledge that you might know something about something you might be able to add a wikipedia page for us yeah and it, it doesn't need to be any more than fifty thousand words really does it <laughs> <laughs> Right, shall we get into this week's uh, episode or what? Oh, there's a, that's right, there's music this week. And what music from Hannah Harris? Exactly. So this week is just me flying solo. Dominic, do you want to explain your absence? Um, no. Not really. <laughs> Dom's busy, he's well, a busy man. Well, you know, um, uh, at times it's just kind of tricky with time zones and stuff and youngsters and so on. It was one of those occasions when I think you had the chance to do it, so we just thought, go for it. Yeah, so so tell, tell us a bit about Hannah, yeah. So this week, Hannah Harris, um, fantastic fiddle player as you're here. Um, well, we're going to get into it. I think we probably, this is a hell of a preamble anyway, so let's just kind of, I reckon, get in and we'll catch up at the end of it. It'll be pretty self-explanatory. It's interesting. We cover a, um, a few themes around identity and linguistics and... Um, well, Hannah's an ethnomusicologist, which I found fascinating. So we kind of get into that. And just by coincidence, Hannah had some questions around some um, naming conventions that I had as well. So look, I won't, don't want to have any spoilers. Let's get into it and Brilliant. we'll catch up with the other side. All right, here we go. Thank you. 
Wow. Hannah Harris, thank you so much for being on the Baloney Pilgrims podcast. Thank you. I'm kind of on cloud nine right now. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's really nice to hear. So, hey, what, what, what did we just hear? Uh, I just played two reels. So that was uh, Alice's reel. That's a Frankie Gavin tune. And then I followed it up with Madabon Chapel, which I believe is an Ed Reavy tune. Yeah, okay. Where did you get those recordings? Um, I've actually just learned them in the last couple weeks. Um, Obviously, I've had a little bit of extra time to sit down and (laughs) learn some new tunes. So uh, there's a whole bunch of uh, collaborations and challenges going around on the internet right now. And a couple of my friends from uh, Cork and also um, just on Instagram just challenged me to learn these new tunes. So I picked them up. And with the challenge, is that like a, um, is it just like I nominate such and such to for this tune? Or how, how are those challenges working? Yeah, it's um, a lot of them are really general. Like there's one that's quarantunes, so you just uh, play whatever tune you want and you nominate uh, a few other friends and just keep passing it around. Um, there's a COVID Kaylee challenge, which is more of the, the Scottish community. Um, so I got tagged in that as well. Um, and that's... <laughs> kind of the the different ones there was one uh one really funny one where um they had you play the fiddle wearing latex gloves and i had to try that one out it was surprisingly not as hard as you'd think but you can't really slide your fingers at all you just have to set them down very precisely yeah right so the whole lockdown thing is how's it going for you like I, from a musical perspective it sounds like it's being a bit of a bonus but how you how are you going with the rest of it you're, you're in michigan at the moment right yeah, I'm in Michigan. Um, we've we've got like four cases in my uh, town, um, but other than that, I mean, you know, everyone's staying home. And uh, as far as the music goes, the creative side of this has been nice in order to fit in that, uh, that more of that space for being able to pursue some of my music projects. But it's 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 tough to to be home all the time and not know when you're going to get out and see other musicians again. Mm. So how did you get into Irish music? Well, I, um, I was classically trained to start. Uh, so I was five years old and my mom told me to pick an instrument and I had heard some of Vivaldi kids CD and I decided that I wanted to learn how to play the Stradivarius, um, which (laughs) ended up just being the, the violin. Um, and uh, about three years into that, I was getting a little burned out and I didn't want to keep playing. Um, I was pretty bored with the, the music and wasn't sounding the way I wanted it to. It didn't really come naturally to me. And my teacher had the brilliant idea to introduce fiddle tunes. And these were kind of a mix of Irish, Scottish, Appalachian. Um, and I was hooked right away. So that, that was really a turning point um, for me because I was able to play music that actually sounded good on my scratchy little half-size fiddle at the, at the time. So the hook for you was was more that you were getting something out of your fiddle or was there a, was there a different hook there? Like what, what would you say was the, the hook in the music? Um, well, there was something there. Uh, I think another part of it was I was able to play these tunes with my dad because um, he played guitar and he wouldn't really be doing like the Suzuki Twinkle Twinkle Little Star with me. But once I started doing more 
uh, folk and traditional music, that was where we were able to connect and actually start playing together. And that was where I was able to start playing with more people, I think. So adding the whole uh, group aspect to to the music was really, really an important thing. Yeah, nice. So did mom play as well? No, she uh, she sang, you know, she she did recorder in school at one point, but uh, that was that was about it. So what kind of what kind of uh, tunes or songs were you doing with your dad? Oh, all sorts of stuff. Um, we would do. Let's see. We had some some church songs at the time, and uh, he had a bunch of um, uh, just some folk music. Um, and then I would play my fiddle tunes, like you know, old Joe Clark and um Bilem cabbage down those were some of the the popular ones uh, in, yeah. in our area and then a couple of irish ones as well but not uh, it, was, it was just kind of generic your usual fiddle tunes i guess and it's i'm sure it's just such a stark contrast I and mean, you're not the first one to say it but that from going from that suzuki classical method to then finding a a freeness or a playfulness and a a shared creativity with the folk or Irish or Celtic, whatever you were, you were kind of playing at that time, I, I can see the appeal. But I'm sure you did. You find that you you used a lot of. You already had a great bedrock. <clears throat> excuse me. You already had a great bedrock because of your classical training. So it was a much quicker learning. Yes. Um, I mean, I, I kept learning classical and fiddle side by side for another 10 years, I'd say. And then in college, I really started to get more serious about fiddling. That's when I started going to uh, events like the Swananoa Gathering and a few others. And that's really what kind of was the turning point for me to get that music, that classical music education, because um, I did graduate with a, a BA in music. Um for classical studies, but then I kind of dropped it after I graduated and just switched completely over to fiddle. But I definitely say that that was very helpful to have that training and that discipline from the classical music. And then when you were, for those 10 years, like you lived, um, from memory you said, was it North Carolina? Yes, yeah, in Charlotte. Yeah, right, so obviously a lot of old time fiddling around. Is that something you were playing as well? Uh, embarrassingly, no. Um, right. I didn't really understand or I, I didn't really hear much about the music um, until I left, until I moved to Michigan. And now I'm having this resurgence of interest in, in the area and the, the music there. And so I, it's definitely mm-hmm. something that I've realized later on. So then could you do me a favor? Could you, could you, like, could you paint a picture of what North Carolina is like? Uh, that then or now? <laughs> well, then. Yeah. Um, I mean, Charlotte was very suburban um, where I was. And so um, it was, let's see, how to paint a picture of it. We were kind of in the, the foothills of the mountains. So North Carolina is in three different regions. There's coastal Piedmont and mountains. And we're kind of right on the edge of the Piedmont and the mountain region. So Asheville is probably a uh, just a couple hours drive away. Yeah, right. Um, That's where my banjo's from. I think I said yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember you saying that. <laughs> yeah. So we were. I mean, we were close to the action, I guess. But it was it, in some ways, it was just your 
standard, you know, pop culture town growing up, really. Yeah. So then for me, see, I suppose the reason I asked you, could you paint a picture is because in my mind, it's kind of like, it's the sadness, it's at the foothills of the Appalachians, so there's old time music and I have one image in my mind, but then you saying that you weren't really aware of it too much. Does that mean that there was a, a healthy Irish scene or a Celtic scene? There's a little bit, you know, it's, and you had to kind of be looking for it in order to find it. Um, I, and when I go back to Charlotte to visit family, I do see that there are some sessions in the area and my aunt who lives there actually plays the Celtic harp. Um, so she's involved in some of the, the groups there. And really it's, it's the same with old time, you know, you have to be kind of aware of, uh, just the, the different places that you could go. You, you wouldn't just stumble into it necessarily. Yeah. Okay. And then, so were you into a different kind of music than during your teen years or did you kind of focus And I do say this knowing that you name dropped Beyonce on your, uh, <laughs> your live <laughs> Your live broadcast yesterday, which is fantastic. You, you had compared um, Liz Carroll to the Beyonce of <laughs> traditional Irish music, and I, I thought that was one of the funniest things I've heard. I'm this kind of year. scared if music. she ever hears this, but <laughs> well, it's not. It's so I, I totally get it. It's such a great comparison. Oh, so, yeah, is no. that something that you were into? Yeah, I mean, I was definitely into like the the top fifty hits on iTunes, and um, when I had my angsty teenage years, and. Uh, fiddle was kind of a, a sideline and again I really didn't get serious about it until I was maybe 19 or 20. Right and was that when you were in Michigan when you were 1920? No um, I would come up to Michigan every summer but I didn't move here until after I um, got back from spending time in Cork for my master's degree. Okay, right. So then from an, from the music perspective, then did, did you have someone to kind of hold your hand as you were learning the Celtic side or the Irish side? I had some, uh, some good influences. I, I really didn't have a fiddle teacher that could tell me about the technique um, and just the, the different ornaments, like spelling out how to, how to do a role necessarily until I went to the Swannanoa gathering. And that was where I, you know, met, met up with Liz Carroll and Martin Hayes. And, um, I'd say Finn McGill was my, uh, main teacher. He was the one who really, um, was able to spell out, especially being a classical fiddler himself. Um, he was able to tell me like the different techniques and, be able to translate them from classical violin to Irish fiddle music. Right. It's, I, I think I know of the Swan and Oak Gathering, but could, can you tell me more about what, what it actually is? Sure. Um, it's a five-week program. Uh, it's in Swannanoa, North Carolina, which is about a 20-minute drive from Asheville. Um, it's at Warren Wilson College, and each week they devote um, – the the theme to a different type of folk music so they've got uh, they've got the celtic week which is your irish scottish and they've got a little bit of breton um, music as well and um they've got a singing week they have um mando banjo fiddle week guitar week uh contemporary folk and they bring in instructors from all over um that are uh, top-notch in their field and um they it's basically like a giant workshop camp for all ages and you just all gather there for a week and uh, learn tunes and um, do sessions way late into the 
wee hours of the morning and um just it's all up in the mountains of north carolina yeah gorgeous is it is it a real is it a mix of um so you've got the one week which is kind of you said irish celtic where everything's kind of lumped in together and I'm, i think I guess, I guess i'm leading this question with something that i know you've said before or you've explained before and it's the difference between irish music versus celtic music mm-hmm. and from someone that's living in australia so as an irish fella who grew up in ireland kind of understand to to whatever extent what that means in ireland but then to see how the word irish and celtic gets treated in australia and then looking to somewhere like america where i see that that term being used a lot and i've done it a few times at the start of this interview so how do you answer that when someone asks what's the difference between irish and celtic music well it depends on which form of celtic you're looking at um so if you want to think of celtic as like the the seven celtic nations that could be the traditional music from those areas and also include all the uh, diaspora communities. So, you know, the um, the communities in Australia and the US and Canada and all over the world that have sprung up. Um, so you could look at it as the big picture and then Irish music is uh, just part of, like just one little piece of it. Um, but you can also, if, if you use them interchangeably, then you run the risk of, um, just kind of blowing over what Irish music is because Irish isn't Celtic necessarily and Celtic doesn't necessarily mean Irish either, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, completely. And I think <clears throat> I think it's it's kind of, it's wormed its way into my vocabulary as a an interchangeable term, which I, I'm annoyed at myself for kind of allowing it happening. But part of it's due to the circumstance of, of where I am. And then I think through through lots of things maybe trying to explain what i do a good broad term is something like celtic right so it's mm-hmm. it says so much but it says nothing so people kind of go oh yeah i get i get what you mean whereas yeah. um I, I totally it, so i think the way i look at it is and the way i've mentioned with don before is if i was in ireland i wouldn't engage with the word celtic very much i don't think right so this is me just kind of presuming but that's, i don't think i'd engage thing. i because you just wouldn't right because you're you're so you would just be it's the music but mm-hmm. then when you when you zoom out from that well it all kind of gets lumped in i'm sure even like to the un, untrained ear someone going past maybe an old-time session is going to lump that into celtic as well i, I see celtic and old-time in australia but mm-hmm. lumped oh, in yeah. together yeah, it's a it's a tricky one. What what I'd love to do is so I know I, I want to get further into this because I'm I imagine so much of this lives within ethnomusicology, and yes. I want to talk to you about that. But do you think we could have a tune before we do that? Sure, absolutely. Uh, have you got something in mind? Yeah, you know I could do a, I could do one that I used to do with my dad. Um, that might be nice. That'd be really nice. Yeah. What is it? Uh, it's called uh, Kitty Nagoman. And uh, I think that translates to Kitty, my love, uh, roughly. Um, so it's a kind of a nice slower tune. Great.
Wow, what a beautiful piece. It's really Thank nice. You. Um, so, ethnomusicology, what the hell is it? <laughs> <laughs> I probably I want to have so many uh, silly kind of ham-fisted or blunt questions. So hopefully you can kind of put some barriers around what it what it is, and then we can I can start I don't know falling around in other places. You can set me straight. So broadly, how do you describe it? Uh, very broadly, it's uh, pretty much world music. It's the study of music cultures. I like to say if music and anthropology of those two degrees had a baby, then that was that's pretty much what you get with ethnomusicology. So what what took you to ethnomusicology as a as a academic pursuit? Uh, as far as academics go, I was, uh, as I said, I was in um, school for classical music and about halfway through my, um, my studies there, I was told that I was not going to be successful as a classical musician and, um, but that I could still play and I could still learn how to play the violin and all that, but I'd, I'd better shift my focus a little bit. So that, um, that can, made me Can back you tell up. me more about that? Like yeah, that, well, that, that you know, sounds like that sounds harsh, right? That's it, it, a big it does. thing to it, be told. It, it does sound harsh, and I mean, I was a little—I guess I wasn't super taken aback by it, but I was. Um, it, it did make me realize that my—I mean, my heart was in the music, but it wasn't in the classical genre, and that was kind of a wake-up call for me. Um, because I was, I just thought to myself, like, I, I love this fiddle music. So maybe I could keep going with the classical training and get more of the technical um, side of things, which, uh, again, like I said, has been extremely helpful um, in developing all my technique in any style. Um, but I, yeah, I just thought, what could I do to, um, to add on to this and to, you know, really study the fiddle music. And my, my roommate actually had the idea. She's like, have you ever looked at an anthropology degree to add on to the music? And it actually worked out very well because it was a smaller program at the school. And I was able to fit in all of my classes in just the two years, instead of having to add on an extra year. Um, and, and I'd already gotten most of my classical music credits out of the way. So it kind of all fit in well. And I took a a cultural anthropology class and started learning about different ways to study um, the, the cultures all the way around the world. And um, that really, uh, I was like, oh, I'm, I'm onto something here. I can, I can combine these with, uh, you know, the, the culture of Irish music and, you know, how it is in the, the United States here in the Southeast. And I can start studying that. So what were the, um, what were the, the first kind of, pieces of the puzzle that you started to see with like, like let's say Irish music in America mm, how do you mean like so if you're studying if you're looking at music sorry ethnomusicology and you're looking at different cultures around and you're looking at Irish music and it's um it's presence in America I suppose and you kind of this when you started to feel that you were onto something what were the things that made you kind of think, you know what, this is actually some, something worth pursuing? Well, um, as far as, uh, so I went to school at, at um, Furman U University, which is in South Carolina, and there wasn't really any Irish community or sessions nearby. 
Um, but there was one in Asheville, which was an hour's drive away. So here's, here's Asheville coming up again. Um, and there was a session there and I did a, a kind of a mini fieldwork project where I was, uh, kind of studying the session. I was sitting in and playing music with them, but I was also, um, just kind of looking at the whole, the, the social side of it too. And, um, I was, I, yeah, I, I was able to draw connections there and um that kind of got me got me started on the whole path of how does irish music play into culture here and uh social events um even you know like on a weekly basis you have the sessions and then you have your your workshops your festivals all over and um, so there's a whole uh societal aspect to the music and how it's developed over here. And when you're looking at something like that, do you, like, is it chronologically, like, where do you kind of start putting your parameters around? Like, would you look at, let's say, uh, if you're looking at Asheville or that area, would you be looking at the last 10 years? Or are you looking at from 1900 to 1950? Like, how do you approach it? You'd, you'd have to pick, um, you know, it's when you start off and especially at that point when I was starting off, everything was very general, very broad, and I didn't focus, narrow my focus down into one single area of study. So, um, you know, the further you get into academia, so, you know, the master's and then the PhD and all that, it gets more detailed and um, you're, you're more focused in on one point. So I think what I was doing was looking at um, the session in the present day and just kind of focusing on that. And I mean, history would play a part into how it's developed into what it is today. But for the most part, if, if I needed a focus for field work, I would be uh, observing and seeing what's in front of me and um, trying to distance myself from the group a little bit, but also see it from an insider's perspective. It's It's an interesting... A role that a field worker plays in ethnomusicology because oftentimes we're studying a music culture that we're familiar with and that we know pretty well and then we're also trying to bring in the the scientific side and understand how it plays into other parts of culture and other disciplines yeah it makes sense it must be hard to not um influence like what's the there's a technical term i'm struggling to remember but it's where you you're you're biasing the the yes. data just having your own um opinions and yeah well in, in the uh in my master's thesis i think i devoted uh maybe three pages to explaining that this is my own opinion and this is uh, uh, had to be very clear about um like what what perspective you're coming from and that's something that the whole field kind of still struggles with is that subjective um viewpoint and it's i mean it is taken seriously in in its own circles and certainly in other uh, similar disciplines, but there is um, there's there's other other sciences that might not accept the approach as much because it's not as analytical or data based, you know. Mm -hmm. So, what was your master's thesis? Uh, well, ironically about? enough, it was um, it was Irish versus Celtic, the the terminology and how it's in uh, how it's shown in American media, um, and just the the stereotypes that come out of it and how most Americans would probably perceive Irish culture um, just based on this idea of Celtic. Yeah, right. 
So can you, can you tell me more about that? I can try. It's, it's been, <laughs> it's been a good, uh, let's see, three years since I wrote the thesis. So I don't remember exactly I'm what just I said, fascinated to but... get somebody else's kind of um, viewpoint on it because it's something I've spoke about. I think I've spoke about it on here, but I've definitely spoke about it in my personal life and with Dominic. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a tricky one. So I just love to get kind of your, so I suppose yeah, one of the questions yeah. would be, what's your take on it? What's your per- so does if if I'm to separate the ethnomusicologist and the person, which we know is hard to do. Yes. <laughs> what's your take on it? Like your personal take on it? My my take is that um, there's you know there's the group of people here that are familiar with the music that have you know dug deep into the culture. They have probably traveled back and forth, and so there's there's that level of familiarity with the music, and then there are the people that um i mean they they don't necessarily care one way or another apart from saint patrick's day um which i mean you could say for a whole lot of cultures here but um yeah they it's it's kind of the plastic patty mindset i don't know if you've you've heard that term before plastic patty absolutely um yeah so it's um it's like you know we've just passed St. Patrick's Day here so the the green beer and all the um the stereotypes like the the stage irish um accents and the um the whole top of the morning thing and whatnot mm-hmm. so it's um you, you see you see that a lot more commonly than you will the people that are more um uh, like rooted in irish traditional music necessarily and it was I was curious about that because, you know, like I said, I grew up in kind of a very pop culture uh, environment. And so I would have grown up with the whole plastic patty side of things and just being able to um, see where I'm trying to go with this. Well, I can feel where you're you're going. I I understand what you're saying and it's, it's a, it's a tough it's not an easy um there's a lot of gray area yeah i could i mean i could just rant on it for for hours probably and maybe eventually get to a point but but i even like i i'm sure because one of the questions i have for you is around your music and how obviously if you're a michigan you're american and you're playing irish music there's i'm i was born on i live in australia making an irish music podcast this there's a an appetite a huge appetite outside of ireland for irish music some could mm-hmm. some may even argue a bigger appetite outside um like for us our listenership is predominantly we've got it would be mostly australians then american then english and then maybe ireland coming in after that or even further down the list on who who actually would listen and um, we were speaking with um Daryl Healy and he runs um, Kill FM and Kill FM incredible service but again his listenership is kind of similar to ours where there's this huge appetite for Irish music content but it's outside of the of the mm-hmm. aisle which I, I I don't know like I think there is a and that's why I, can't, I think there is a, a gray area particularly when you're overseas so when you're somewhere else that's not the homeland and you're dealing with this Irish music, you can go so far, and then when do you start tipping into the plastic patty? And you don't <laughs> want to insult anyone either, right? Because a lot oh, yeah. of us live in that grey area. Yeah. 
like as as I said to Dom, and I think I've said it, and one of the intros, I I've struggled with the name of this podcast because it has the word Bellarney in it, and I'm that's a word which would can often get tied up in that plastic end of the spectrum. I feel. But then I suppose it all comes down to your own exposure and your own baggage that you bring to these things. Yeah. So are you are you at the moment working within the ethnomusicology field? Um, not not traditionally, I guess. I'm I'm not um a, in the academic side of it anymore. Um, but uh, when I'm uh posting online, I do try and share some more about ethnomusicology, and I keep it to the basics. For the most part, I think if I were to get back into blogging, I might get more specific um, and maybe more in depth with a few things. But uh, yeah, I'm really I, I'm keeping it around as more of a way that I approach uh, the studying studying music and continuing to learn all things Irish music. Um, so it's it's more of a it's more of an approach, less of a, a career field necessarily, at least in yeah, my cool. case. What what what's your take on? What's happening at the moment with the with the pandemic and 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 what role is music playing for for you? And then what do you think on a on an R scale or a world scale? I think the the response from musicians has been incredible. Um, there's so many live shows. Um, the one I did uh, the other night was all local Michigan um, friends, and we just all decided we were going to put together a virtual festival and support one another. And so that's going on for. Uh, the next couple of weeks and um, just the all the live concerts, all of the collaborations. I have some friends who would never have time in their touring schedule to play a tune with me, but we can just sit down online now and throw something together, which has been really neat. Um, so it's certainly it's certainly a blow to the music industry having the live gigs uh, knocked out from under our feet and not not able mm-hmm. to teach in person but um, I do have Skype students for fiddle and um, we've just been trying to make the best of it and uh, get really creative which is you know what we what we do anyway so now we're working our brains uh, for for ways to continue making a living from it yeah uh, do you reckon we could have another tune or a set of tunes yeah yeah do you have oh, something in one? mind or? Uh, I've got a list here. <laughs> so, Good to be prepared. I was yeah. in the scouts for many years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I'll do, I think I'll do some polkas actually. To Great. bring cork into the picture here. And I don't actually have names on these. I just know them as the Blarney Castle Hotel set. So I suppose we're, we're getting okay. back to the term Blarney again. <laughs> Um, and as for names, there's usually a listener or two that will. Yes, I'm. I'm sure. I, I think I even know someone who knows the name. I could send it to, to her too, but we'll see. All right, here's some polkas.
Thanks so much, Hannah. That was great. Thanks. So you briefly mentioned before you're going into that set of polkas that it'll take you to Cork, which is perfect. Great segue. So you you studied in Cork, right? I did, yes, at UCC. And what did you what what did you study there? Um, I combined the music and anthropology degrees and got my MA in ethnomusicology. Right. And what what year was that? That was let's see. I the program was twenty sixteen to twenty seventeen, and they do graduation a little bit differently than we do here in the U.S. So I didn't actually graduate until uh, February of twenty eighteen. Yeah. Okay. So what was the um, what was it like? So first of all, I should ask because I I'm always interested to see about people's um, perception and then what 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 it was like. Had you was that your first time to Ireland? That was my second time, but it was my first time to Cork. So I literally walked in a few days before classes started and uh, got my got my apartment and um, started learning my way around the city. So it was it was definitely the most independent thing I've ever done, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah. And was it um was it like what you expected? Because I I love that idea. Well, not love it, but. You know that um the Paris syndrome that people that um I think mostly happens with Japanese tourists when they go to Paris and they have a very definite idea of what it's going to be what it's going to be and then they they have huge pangs of anxiety and and feel unwell because it's it's different. Yeah, well, I think what? I I probably had more of a um I I don't know maybe a commercialized uh, idea of of it. It was it was nothing like I expected at first, and then once I. I found more sessions. It, um, it was even better than I expected. So it was it was really neat. But it, the first couple months were were a little rough. Um, I'd say I actually was living with a couple of uh, French students, and so for the first few days, I didn't speak to anyone who spoke English as a first language. It was I was just hanging out with all my roommates' friends. So um, it was all all French, um, and I was not expecting that going to Ireland I was like I was thinking I was going to make some Irish friends as soon as I got there and um but it was really cool to to just see how it all was completely different from what I expected because even more so than maybe even the the regular traveler because you you'd studied the quote-unquote culture so intensely before coming over too so your um your mind's eye would have been quite attuned I'd imagine I'm presuming here I I think that I got more focused in on in studying the culture once I got there I mean I'd done a little bit with the with the um the anthropology major but a lot of that was just um learning about the culture to learn more about the music itself and then I got to actually go and immerse myself completely in uh in it for a long time and that opened a lot more uh doors in my head I guess (laughs) Right. So what, what sessions did you find? What, what was your entry point? Well, uh, we started off with the, the Blarney Castle Hotel um, one. So that was actually, that was really neat. Um, every Tuesday night, uh, we had a, a kind of a deal with the, um, the dance instructor, Mags McCarthy. And she, um, she had a friend, Martin, who was a taxi driver. And he would take us all, take me and some of my other American um, friends that we um, that were in the music program and he would take us all up to the hotel and we would hang out there from 
nine to midnight, sometimes one in the morning and play tunes with the, the local guys there. Uh, so that was my first session. And that was a really cool one that we, we went through. We went to that one, I'd say almost every week. Uh, and then I started to find other sessions in town. Uh, the Chenet was definitely a good one. Um, and Unspalfing Phonic was another one I liked. Um, and I went to Charlie's a couple times too. Um, and then the Corner House was another good one. So we, we, we were kind of, by the end of my time there, I was going to maybe four or five sessions a week, um, averaging out. Wow. That's a, it's quite a hectic schedule. Yes. <laughs> it's good. A good thing that was. And then studying years. on top of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. But I suppose uh, that you can, you're, you're marking the sessions then as a research in the field right exactly it was field work That's exactly why i went to ireland i might have to look into doing this uh, ethnomusicology myself you know it's a really great method for uh putting science to the to, to going out and having fun so yeah well i think i'm, I'm getting away enough uh, already with this podcast i think if i was to uh start putting my hand up for some ethnomusicology <laughs> i'll be getting some strange looks around the house what was your um so I don't, again, I, I don't fully understand the depth of ethnomusicology, so I don't know how much these are related. But as someone, like, I'm, what I'm trying to ask is, as someone coming as an American to Ireland playing Irish music, what was your reception like? Was it, was it all open arms or did you feel any of that kind of, um, I, I'm probably terrified of my own tall poppy syndrome where you kind of, I have this thing where I constantly feel like, who, do, who does he think he is if I try and do anything? So, yeah, well, I'm, I'm, I'm I've, I've definitely got, I've got some of that. <laughs> um, I, I was very nervous to um, go into the sessions and you, you have to be very open about your intentions when you're, when you're studying somebody. It's, um, there's this whole ethical side where you say, hey, I, I'm at the college here and I'm uh, in the, this music program and I'm studying Irish sessions and all that. And so uh, you'd have to ask for permission to take recordings or um, possibly even interview somebody at the sessions. Um, and so there's, there's definitely that uh, almost fear factor, I guess, of going in and asking a complete stranger if, if you can interview them. <laughs> um, and uh, so I was definitely, uh, but I, I mean, I, I had a very good reception overall. I think that, um, people wanted to talk about the music and that, um, they were, I don't want to say flattered. I don't think that's the right term, but the, the, glad to have my interest, uh, that, that people in America were coming over and, um, cared so much about their music that they wanted to really dig deep into understanding it. Um, I, I think I got a little bit of that, but. That's nice. That's it. And you're not the first person who has, um. Who has said that and i think that's why i i suppose keep asking that question around the reception because it's so great to hear that that's mm -hmm. that seems to be the um the, the story that i'm hearing back more than the yeah the people put up their um put up their guard they were much more open and interesting and and, and i know what you mean when you say flattered it's more there's a different word but i know what yeah you mean. there's a better word for it and i can't think of it right now i was actually i was thinking about that kind of the tall poppy stuff does that does that play into the music that comes from a culture too because i know like they say certain cultures have um have strong tall poppy syndrome um 
again this is my opinion i'm not i have never studied any of this but I, i'm from my understanding of the lay of the land um ireland has quite a strong tall poppy um mentality i think australia does too um don't shoot me anyone that disagrees on like they may maybe just show me how i'm wrong um and i think i don't know and maybe you uh, hannah you don't shoot me if i say this but like america w- wouldn't have as much and i think that leaves like there's different types of music being played when i think about it in terms of irish music i think in like well to, to in, a, in a music context to in a session setting let's say you need to just be blisteringly good and almost the better you are the more modest you need to be mm-hmm. there's um is that something within i don't even know if this is the right question but is that something that ethnomusicology would look at or could look at would that be something absolutely you kind of like, hey. i mean this is, it's almost an anything goes study like if there is if, if there is a an issue or a topic or something that just sticks out to you like for me it was realizing uh that irish and celtic were not synonymous um so and and realizing that there was some some mindset there um that you could really dig deep into because there's a whole like there's a psychological aspect of of anthropology too and and getting it all uh interconnected so yeah you could absolutely uh do a study on that yeah okay it's such an interesting field Mm mm-hmm you also mentioned on your website and i found it a really nice thing and i'd like to know more about it you mentioned how your time in ireland was much more than just a degree but it was a um it was a real changing point in 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 the in the path of you becoming you what what do you mean by that what like how do you if you were to expand on that how would you I don't even remember when I wrote that, but <laughs> um, <laughs> it was it's the problem with the internet. Oh, I know, right? Um, oh gosh, well, it really helped me with my confidence. I would say uh, I was a very reserved, sort of shy person, um, and then moving to Ireland, living in a city essentially um, by myself, and having to navigate just everyday life there on top of studying and um uh, the music scene like it really helped me um build one my confidence and also just my understanding of just how many perspectives there are in the world and uh how many different ways of living there are um so it it was it, it just opened my eyes beyond uh the southeast of uh, America. Um, mm. So I was able to, I, I guess, just become more well-rounded, I, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, in my, in my completely character. makes sense. Yeah. Did it change your, um, did it change your relationship to the music at all? I would it strengthened it for sure. Um, when I, I, I have a couple of recordings of when I um, first, first went to Ireland and um, then listening back on them, months later when i when i went back to the states it was um i didn't notice any change in my playing as i was going uh as i was spending all the time in the sessions and and learning more tunes at the college but um just the more that uh like when i when i got home it was very profound the difference in my playing and just spending that time with people who have uh grown up 
with the music and it's just ingrained in them and they're able to i'm able to absorb a little of that off of them so yeah yeah it must be a um an incredible experience i'd love to and plan on on doing something at one stage what would you what would you say are like some tips that you would actually give to someone that are someone that's thinking of, of doing something similar whether it's going over for a month or going over for a year like what what are some kind of heads up that you would piece of advice you'd give um i would say like i mean ireland's a you know if you go to cork it is a city um and it's it like don't expect every single person there to be super friendly and nice i mean you know that like the irish have this kind of uh, we have this idea of, of all the Irish being super friendly and outgoing. And um, that's that's not always the case. I mean, it's a big enough country that there are plenty of personalities all in in one um, in one country. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say don't uh, I'd say be prepared to have your expectations changed um, and be open to really seeing Ireland as it is and not Ireland as you've maybe expected it to be from the media or from things things that you've heard before it's so true seeing the um seeing all sides of a of a culture particularly like the city aspect and and the rural aspect like it's a good it's it's a really great way of kind of understanding the real picture like the the breadth of like what what gets sent out through media or whatever channels it's quite a narrow band of what mm-hmm. anything is and then when you get there and you see the whole gauntlet you're like oh, oh crap yeah <laughs> is it why isn't everyone really nice why do so many tracksuits <laughs> um i've a few questions i'd like to ask you about your recent recordings and your presence online but it, i know we've got being a bit cheeky asking for an extra tune but do you reckon we could have one tune now and then a bit of a chat and then we'll finish with another one yeah we can do that great thank you
Oh, so what did we just hear? Um, you just heard John Brosnan's reel and then Martin wins number two. Right. Are they on your upcoming release? Uh, Martin wins is, um, but John Brosnan's, uh, was just one I wanted to throw in there. Um, had a, a, I, I guess not really a fun story necessarily, but it's, uh, I, I got to play this one, um, this part of Fergal Skyhill's uh, fiddle tune a day back in 2019. Um, so that was, that was a really cool thing I got to do on my birthday last year. Um, oh, so cool. that's, that's been a, a tune I like to throw in whenever I can. Yeah, that was a great project. Yeah, yeah, it was really neat. I, I missed it on, um, he was he was in the area um, in Michigan back in 2017, but I missed him the first round, so I uh, uh, bugged him enough for <laughs> for the, the second time. So with the album, so you've just finished recording, is that right? Yes, I've just finished recording, so I'm. Uh, it's all in mastering stages right now. That's exciting. So what... Did I read it? Was was that crowdfunded? Yes, it was. Yeah. What was that um, process like? Uh, totally new to me. Um, this is this is my first album too. Um, but I, um, yeah, it, it was. I I I don't like to ask people like for the sell necessarily, and I, I know there's a lot of people out there that are uncomfortable with with selling and. Um, uh, just That's having to poppy. yeah trying to trying to break past that mindset of um you know uh, having something of of value or something that you think people would enjoy that you can put out into the world and um giving them an opportunity to be a part of the project as opposed to um feeling like you're just trying to take their money you know you you, mm -hmm. you provide enough value to them that they'll you know they're they're part of the project themselves it's kind of like they're investing in in something instead of uh just just buying an album that they'll get in uh, six months or a year or whatnot yeah so who um who produced it for you i was actually uh my guitar player um on the album he has a, a studio in his basement and then we um we sent it off to another local guy who's uh he's, he's uh frontier studios in michigan and he um does mixing and mastering and so he um did the the second mix and then he's putting the extra sparkle on it as i like to say yeah great did, did you have a um did you have an aesthetic in mind from a production point of view going in um, a, a bit like I, I wanted to, uh, really encompass the idea of community. So I had, um, uh, from, from all levels in the, in the tradition. So I had tunes that I've written. I have, uh, tunes that my friends have written, tunes that my mentors have written, and then other traditional tunes that no one is necessarily sure who's written. Yeah. Right. And what's the, um, what's the timeline on that release then? Well, I'm looking to get a single out. Um, I'll say this tentatively, uh, May 15th. Um, I still have to get the masters back. So since I'm completely new to this, I don't want to uh, mm -hmm. not give myself enough time. But um, the goal the goal is May 15th for the single and then the rest of the album would be re released uh, late in the summer, or early fall. All right, great. Well, with this interview, I'll put any links that we have currently as of like today i'll put those in the show notes and then give us a shout when they're being released and i'll make sure we, we share it around and people get to hear it oh thank you i appreciate that now where is the um 
Where is the be- Where are the best places to follow you? Actually, you know what? I'm 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 going to park that. I'll ask that at the very end. What I want to ask you just about other things that you do. So you you teach fiddle as well. Yes, I teach fiddle. I um well before the quarantine happened, I was I had a few private less or pri- private students, and I also taught uh, classical strings with a local program uh, in the, the elementary schools here in town. Um, so that's that's a way that I'm still using my classical training. Um, yeah. But it's it's not necessarily it's just kind of a, a side stream of income right now. Um, and actually, the reason why I moved up here uh, was because I had worked at a uh, Celtic retail store, um, which again we we sold Irish, Scottish, and uh, beyond um, things. Yeah. But the the neat thing was that um, the owner, uh, my boss, he was he was very much against the plastic patty mindset. So I mean, you walked into the store and it was like you were uh, walking into a shop in Ennis or something. You know, have the the Irish sweaters, the Aaron sweaters, and the the jewelry lines and all that. So it was, and he had been so many times over there that he was able to tell mm. um, stories to customers and give them a, a good idea of what Ireland was like. So yeah, nice. It really, yeah, it really was a neat segue. It was, it was a great another ethnomusicology uh, way of studying, but from a retail perspective. So um, that that shop closed down uh, summer of last year. Um, and uh, now I've just been doing music full time, um, and trying to get the the business off the ground and get the the. Album so you're offering for... online lessons at the moment. Yes, online lessons at the moment is my my main thing. Yeah, great. I have to say thank you so much for that video that's online. So other listeners might know, but I've recently took up the fiddle to learn Irish tunes, and until recently I had the A part of the Kestig Dan, and I was pretty smitten with myself and. Like this week, I've got the B part down as well, and I thought I was pretty smitten with myself. And then I watched your video on how to make Irish jigs and more like an Irish jig. And oh, neat! <laughs> I, I've got rid of this smitten feeling, and I'm ready oh, to no. <laughs> dig deep, dig deeper. No, no, no! It's great, it's great, but it's just kind of it's a real it was a it's a real great video because you've you've kind of I like how you stepped out the straight version, which is where I'm at, to mm-hmm. then where you can go from there. So, um. Thank you so much for that as well. The oh, other yeah. place that I, I I know you from is from uh, Instagram. You seem to be doing a lot of stuff there. Yesterday you did a live concert, which you mentioned. On uh, you did but that, who was that through the? Uh, the that was live? a t- uh, tip of the mitt because um, Michigan is kind of in the shape of a mitten, so we're we're at the very tip there. Uh, tip of the mitt songwriters uh, group. Now I get it. Okay, yeah, I was looking yeah, at North, all I northern Michigan not. artists. <laughs> All right, perfect. So then the the best places for people to find out about your album and your lessons, um, are they the same place or where, where should they go for those? Um, I mean, I have a, I actually have a revamped uh, version of that video you were mentioning with the, the jig tutorial. Um, I have mm-hmm. a five part or it's a four part video series that if you sign up for my email list, it automatically comes into your inbox. Um, but yeah, my, my email list is really good for keeping up with me. Um, I'm very regular on Instagram, as, as you said, uh, Instagram and Facebook both. I try to keep updated. So and um, I'll be putting the, the tracks up on YouTube and they'll be on all the, the digital platforms, too, once they're once they're the best the way open. to find you is is uh, Hannah Harris kill. Is that right? Yes. H- Hannah Harris kill on Instagram. Perfect. And, well- yeah. 
I'll have links to everything you've mentioned in the show description. Great. Thanks so much for taking time out today. So it must be, it's late evening with you. It's coming up to lunchtime for me. So apologies if you're <laughs> rumbling in the background. <laughs> well, if you hear uh, the cats trying to beat down the door, it means it's their supper time. So Perfect. So what do you reckon? Could we go out on one final piece yeah, of music? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'll give you the name beforehand thank too. Thank you so um, much for your this time, is, Stephen. This is, uh, oh, yeah, yes. thank you. Uh, this is... This is Sunday's Well Waltz, um, and the reason why I love this tune so much is that Sunday's Well is the road that the music building is on at, in UCC, and I have um, fond memories of uh, going uphill both ways to get to the music building, no matter which angle you came at it from. Um, we would the, the closest bus stop was about 20, 30 minutes walk from the music building and a lot of times I would be with my best friend who would have her cello with her and she'd have to be hiking it up the hill <laughs> so and she she's about five feet tall so it, just imagine us us hiking up the hill but um yeah, there's a lot fitter when she returned home from our oh yeah yeah we, we had great lung muscles by the end of it all um but yeah awesome yeah thanks so, so much Anna thank you Sunday's well
so that is Anna Harris and that's uh, a tiny I can imagine slither of what ethnomusicology is or can be it's it's something and it's one of those terms that I still don't feel like I know a lot about like I know definitely more than I did going in but it's a it's a fascinating field of of study and I really like the the potential of different things you could get from it did you know much about it or do you know much about it Tom? You know, I, I know about it in a general sense of uh, people who study study academically things. No, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I do. I've got a I've got a vague idea. I I've got an idea of it, and I could probably, at a push, put together a definition out of thin air. But um, nobody needs to hear that, really. <laughs> I think that one of the things that I kind of realised during it too is that like. I probably noticed anyway, but maybe it just became front of mind is that I don't know a lot about academia as in like I, I kind of come from a world of you, you're educated to a final role in, in like as a job, as a profession. And then I don't really, I haven't spent a lot of time about thinking about academia for the pursuit of academia. Like even like I'll show my own, um, what's the word like naivety like even during that interview when I was speaking with Hannah first like I was kind of thinking like oh well I, w I wonder what that becomes as a job and I kind of well, during the interview I was thinking about oh well it, it's not it's a pursuit of knowledge like it doesn't need to be a um an end I am now an ethnomusicologist and I do this it's about hey here are some theories and let's look into the let's let exactly just let's look into that does that make sense I'm kind of as I said I'm I, I know more than I did earlier on in the in the day, but now I'm kind of like right. I need to actually, like most conversations, I need to do a lot more digging to get to the bottom of the, um, the I'll get to the crux of it. Does that make yeah. sense? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, yes, that, that all makes sense. <laughs> Maybe it's like I don't know. Would I ask the same question if it was someone who is a who did their thesis on the political views of Samuel Beckett I don't know because I, I don't know like what am I trying to well, say I, I, I would like... I, I would ask I would ask similar questions in the sense that um, I, I, I know just enough to be dangerous about that <laughs> but not enough to actually say anything worthwhile about the political views of Samuel Beckett so um, yeah but people people the same as um, Hannah dedicated those years of her life and probably will go on to spend more years looking at ethnomusicology. People do that within literature. They do it within any field. They just they, they, do, they study it from an academic perspective and it's just to further the, the knowledge sphere within that interest group. There, I do find that fascinating. Partly the, partly the staying power, right? To, to have the staying power to, to do that kind of work, uh, it takes a very particular cast of mind I think to do it and mm. be successful at it um, mm. it's certainly hard being an academic in the US uh, there's and not it's it's not a very well supported um, occupation financially for a lot of people who are incredibly um, who are incredible achievers in the field that they're working in right so it's it's a hard it's a hard slog so I have yeah. massive respect for anybody who does that 
you know. Since um, this interview as well, what I've been kind of thinking on too is the the uh, trying to approach something like ethnomusicology without bringing bias. Or it, it's it, it's impossible to to come at it without your own bias. Like even even talking about Hannah about my own feelings, it was all clouded in my previous exposure like and hannah goes into it like and hannah goes into it a small bit in the interview but it's really made me think about all fields of academic um academic endeavors that how do you how do you study this without with and without your own bias it's a toughie what do you mean by your bias though i don't i don't well your condition right so let's say because like I think ethnomusicology is probably one an easier one to kind of unpick it with. So if I'm going to study, let's say at the moment, I'm going to go study the exact same topic that Hannah did, which is the difference between Irish and Celtic music, right? Well, you you know me, right? So you already know I've got bias. Like I, I have a certain feeling and probably a, um, unfounded beliefs in, in, in both, in, in lots of words, even within that sentence. So then you need to, you need to go in, like let's say Hannah Bunch was talking about sitting in sessions watching people. Like, you, you think about the the amount of prejudice that you bring to any kind of situation because that's what we are as humans. Have you seen in any session mentality? Like you, all the un unsaid things, all the nonverbal communication, all of the understandings that you know because who you are. You're like all your understanding is biased to really understand or to go further into that field as far as i can tell at this stage and this is me as i've just said on the very edges of understanding what it might be is that to study this you're you're it must be very hard to detach your prior knowledge and not bring a bias does any of that make sense yes I, i think that's the nature of being a good academic though right is that that's part of what they do See my previous statement about I don't know much about academia, <laughs> um, and the bad ones don't. The bad ones, I guess, uh, go out and are looking for a confirmation of their already confirmed views, already mm-hmm. firmly held views about a particular subject. Um, and yeah, I, I I imagine that's I think that's what that's about. I think that's what yeah. makes. I think that's I what distinguishes a quote-unquote good academic from a quote-unquote bad academic but you know what do i know <laughs> what do any of us know I'm neither. So listen, <laughs> hannah thank you so 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 much for taking time out and i'm, um, I'm kind of scunnered that i that i didn't get a chance to take part in that interview actually because it was so fascinating and it's so many areas that we've touched on over the the months that we've been doing this so um yeah thank you hannah hopefully we'll chat sometime we really look forward to um, hearing your album later in the year. Um, please make sure that A, Hannah, you send us the details of when it's been released and B, to any listeners, keep an eye on all our usual places for um, where to check that. I'll do a blast when it's being released. Um, outside of that, Hannah's absolutely great value to f- follow on Instagram. That's where we met each other. Um I'll be posting some photos up there during the week. Um, please do follow us. Just look for Blanny Pilgrim's podcast on Instagram. Um, hey, the other—I know I'm asking a lot, but the other thing which 
we have not been very good at asking people to do is just subscribe like whatever however you listen to this like if it's on apple Podcasts or google Podcasts or spotify whatever it is punch the subscribe button um again it all helps us with the internet points that we need to to look groovy all right and thanks again hannah harris see you next week good luck hi my name is rosa please become a subscriber to the podcast thank you